0: Roderick on the Line is sponsored by Instapaper, the critically acclaimed app that saves web pages to read later. Get it now at instapaper.com or search for Instapaper in the App Store. Hello. Hi, John. Hi, Merlin. How are you? I'm good. You sound subdued. Hmm. <clears throat> well, it's so early. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. We're recording on a different day than usual, and it's exactly the same time we usually record, which is 20 minutes late.
1: (laughs) Which is 20 (laughs) 20 minutes after we agreed to meet. Uh, Yeah, but the the fact that it's a different day makes it feel really early.
0: Hmm. Do you do do anything differently to prepare for the show, for our recording? Do you do any kind of stretches or uh, have any special angle you apply?
1: Um, what, What I do to prepare for our show is I wake up earlier than I normally would. That is the preparation that I have.
0: I'm so sorry.
1: No, no, it's perfectly fine. I should wake up before noon.
0: Well, I should be a good father. <laughs> um, <laughs> You're that, a great father. I, I, You know what? I have really mixed emotions about this. First of all, uh, I am sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, I know
1: you are sorry. That's your primary emotion, though. Yeah,
0: that's a great word is poorly. I love when people say poorly. Poorly. I've, yeah, yeah, yeah. They say it on Deadwood a lot. I think it's the way people used to say. I think maybe English people still say it. Uh, I'm poorly today.
1: Oh, I'm poorly.
0: Yeah, or like you know, I'm feeling poor. You know, feeling poorly would be like the way my grandfather would say it.
1: Well, it's like the fashion that that swept our great nation to respond to the question "How you doing?" Mm-hmm. with "Well" instead of "Good." Do you remember uh, when we were kids? If somebody said "How are you?", you said "Good." And do, do you there, have a problem with that? No, not at all. But there was a there was a moment in time where someone decided. That good was the was some you know someone started saying to their friends in an elementary school teacher's voice, you know properly we should say well instead of good.
0: So I'm, I'm and, confused. What's your what's your what's your preference slash beef? You, you I have, like you like good?
1: <clears throat> I have no preference or beef. It's just uh, something that I that I am noting mm-hmm. that there that the use of well the supplantation of good with well. Swept our country, mm-hmm. and now everywhere you go, if you say to a barista, "How are you doing today?" They go, "I'm well. How are you?" Yes, I, no one. And and if somebody yes. says, "If somebody says, I'm good. How are you?" Generally, most people will say, "I'm well," and it's a kind of it's a little bit of a like a it's a little bit Is of. Is
0: because un- I talked about misspeaking. It's because I talked about, about misspeaking.
1: It's like reaching. It's a grammar reach around. It. <laughs> I'm well, <laughs> and then you're like, oh, ooh, you know, it's uh,
0: interesting though. It's also just uh, in hearing you say that. Let me see. Good. Let me try it again. Let's see here. I'm well, and you, if you say I am well, you can't help but sound like you paused and are a little fancy.
1: That's right. You paused and you were like, should I be saying, should I be saying I or me? I am well.
0: Me, me am well. <laughs> well as <is> I, mm. <laughs> it's. Uh, but you know, you know, it's a really good point, and I'm usually a bit of a stickler about those things. Yeah. Um,
1: but, but the thing is, it swept the country in such a way that the implication was that saying I am good was improper, and in fact, saying I'm good is just fine.
0: I think that counts as vernacular, and I, I got to say, yeah, if, if you're exactly. if you're feeling upbeat. You know, I'm well. Sounds like I'm undiagnosed. <laughs> and you say, um, "How you doing?" You go, good. And, "Good." and I think that's man. That is efficient as shit. Yeah, that's good. so good. It's like it's so well. Yeah, I'm well. Can I give you? Okay. The, can I give you? A, you know, I've never been to Bellingham, but can I give you a, a Bellinghamese reframe on this? Mm. Some I've heard an occasional. Uh, I don't know if it's a correction or just—I mean, I blocked a lot of it out. But sometimes people will say, you know, well, you know, there's only one way to do good, you know, which is to yeah. do—and it's like, ugh, you know, yeah, yeah. shut and that, up.
1: And, and that's the—that's the—that's the slap—that's the, that's the, slap, the slap engendering way of way of correcting people.
0: Is that a little bit Bellinghamese? You think?
1: There is no one in Bellingham for the last seven years that has ever said they were good. They all are well, unless now. they worked at the magazine. It, has, it is. there has a magazine happened. called Good? I'm sure there is. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it features local locally artisanally crafted.
0: It's food beautifully stuff. designed. Of course, I'm pretty sure Al Gore is involved. Mm-hmm. Good. And it's that the design, like the magazine itself, is extremely pleased with itself.
1: Yeah. Well and, and 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 I think personally, I feel like if you have if you have completely replaced Describing yourself as doing good with describing yourself as doing well, if you have completely replaced it, I mean, I, 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 I use the two inter- interchangeably. Mm-hmm. But if you, if you can never, ever say to somebody that you're doing good, then you're a little pleased with yourself. Like, people need to reintroduce that sometimes, you know what, the correct answer is that you're doing good. And if you can't do that, if you're if you're so convinced that well is the only proper response, mm-hmm. then you're a little precious, and you need to check yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what? I'd like to see uh, the return of feeling fine, <laughs> like that. Which is a little bit like certainly on the pie graph, thirty percent is going. That's going to be you know tower snipers and white van people. But you know, I, I think that's that's kind of. If you like, say
1: feeling fine, if somebody says, how you doing, and you say feeling fine, and a cartoon rainbow doesn't come from behind you, uh-huh. and like little cartoon birds are suddenly singing around your head, mm-hmm. then you're
0: I mean, not let taking let ask, enough Let me ask you speed. a question. Give me three other ways to make a cartoon rainbow and birds appear without saying feeling fine. It's an incantation of joy.
1: It is. It really is. Although, if your name is Uncle Remus...
0: Boy, that's a dirty name. You can... You can conjure <laughs> rainbows and birds at any time. You know time. what? I don't even mind the ping pong. That That's just so sounds like a porn name. Remus? Yes. <laughs> I never thought of it that way. Oh, Uncle Remus. I want to come back to my second reason. Uncle Remus uh, and Uncle Licky are driving right around. <laughs> I want to come back to my uh, second reason that I'm uh, discussing. Why I feel bad about getting up early, but a couple, couple quick ones. These are two that I'm a little bit pedantic about just with me. Just with Mm. myself. Um, One that drives me a little bit crazy, uh, just to get it out of the way, is people uh, using and I uh, in the object uh, of a sentence. Mm.
1: Give me an example.
0: Um, Jim came to the abattoir with Lucille and I. Oh, because people think they're, they're Mrs. Howell.
1: Oh, that's terrible. And they
0: were corrected so many times. And so, so many, I think, I think for some reason I, as kids, yeah. they think you think of yourself as me, this yeah, is yeah, me, yeah. this is for me because that you are the object of everything in the world. It's and then someone,
1: someone hit you on the knuckles with a ruler for five years right. saying it's not me, it's I, right. And now you now you do it without, you don't, that's you do right. it without understanding why you do it without understanding the grammar, and you use and I in situations I don't where make it
0: Japanese, but—excuse me, German. But now, I think you're thinking more about corporal punishment than you are about communicating clearly.
1: Right. Or, and, or, or you're thinking more about now that you have been improperly schooled. Now, now your job in the world is to go improperly schooled. And
0: everyone. now we're back in England, where the spanking is contagious. How can you have your pudding when
1: you don't eat your meat? Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. You, know, you know, you know where that all, all started. Right? You know Am that started right? with. Uh, you are absolutely right. Mm. No, it, it, absolutely, and uh, you know that started with him spitting on a fan.
1: Spitting on a on a uh, on a fan of the band, all or right. spitting right, on, right a, down, on an electric fan.
0: This is a reason that I would like Roger Waters and Mike Love to be in a super super band together because it would are save you, me. Wait a minute. Are you conflating Roger, the great Roger Waters, with Mike? Love? No, no, no. I'm not conflating them. I'm just saying that they should both never stop being hit by somebody <laughs> my glove really is, up. oh <laughs> you know what we should come up with a new game maybe, you
1: can maybe- rig up an electric fan that has r- l- like rubber gloves at the end of popsicle sticks
0: <laughs> and it just
1: this fan spins and the rubber oh gloves my just god 11
0: on this day i want to keep it timeless this is the day that i figured out my first fucking kickstarter i will give a nickel to and that is the mike love slapping fan
1: the Mike Loves slapping fan.
0: Take off that hat. I'm, I'm, You've been I'm, I'm, bald I'm, I'm, since surfing USA. Take that thing off. Okay, okay. Uh, shoot, I'm getting deep in the stack. Okay, so, so first of all, and I also want to provide our listeners, John, I'll never be as helpful as you, but perhaps you can share with me whether you think this is as useful as I have found it. So first of all, only say I – if it's in the subject of the sentence, right? Hmm, I do things. Okay, good. Things Thanks. are done to me, right? Nice. Object, object, you know what I'm saying? So here's, here's the really simple way. I, I don't want to be bananic. I want to be helpful, but here's the thing. Take off the, uh, what was it like? Stephanie? What was the name? And I, I forget who, mm-hmm. Lucille. Yeah. So you say, uh, Jim, Jim, uh, came to the abattoir with Lucille and I. Uh, Take off Lucille and, and how would you say it? Exactly. Would you say Jim came to the abattoir with I?
1: Yes, no, you would not. Doesn't that and seem yet, helpful? Well, here's what's confusing, because you would say, Lucille and I went to the store. <clears throat> and so people, are, people become accustomed to thinking yes. that that's... That, Anytime that, there's two. Sure, and that, <sighs> that, 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 that little clause or that phrase then is, is you can, it's, it's mobile, and you can use it as a subject or an object.
0: I bet you the Inuit don't have any problem with this. So is Inuit or Eskimos? Was this, one's a language and, and one is a, a, a dog sledding people?
1: No, there are Inuits and Eskimos. Oh,
0: God, this is complicated. It is.
1: okay okay. People are all the time saying, like, uh, saying to me, like because, correcting you. Well, no, no, they're not. <laughs> they don't correct me, but they're like, so what about the uh, what about those Aleuts up in the up <laughs> up at Eskimo country? And I'm like, you're getting it. You're getting it wrong. There Aleut? are Aleuts. There is that are, how you say. it? Is it, you- it Aleut? Like Aleut? Aleut. That's right. Ooch. Inuits and Eskimos and Athabascans, which are Indians, not an Eskimo people, not a um, not a seafaring people. The Athabascans, but
0: you wouldn't call those Indians Native Americans. You would, in
1: fact, you would call the Athabascans. Well, I, you know what? I don't call anyone Native Americans because I think it's a dumb phrase. It's a dumb phrase. But, uh, but remember that show we
0: couldn't put up because of me going off on African American oh you remember that God,
1: well, and you were just you were just going off on everybody yeah it was great it was really it was really wonderful, and maybe one day when the world has evolved to a to a place where mm-hmm. people have enough understanding that they can appreciate that you don't like other races in your country, no, we can play that episode,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. but anyway, athabascans, athabascans are they are related to. Like the Shoshone, I mean, they're related to the Indians that live in the continental United States, whereas the Inuits and the Aleuts are more what you would call... They, in fact, I think they are closer uh, genetic, genetically to the Southeast Pacific Island people. Hmm. They, are, they are seafaring people from the coasts who, who arrived in boats.
0: A kind of Pangeic evolution. Uh, I can't keep up with you. It's a little bit past, a
1: little bit after Pangaea, but mm-hmm. land bridge. What you're thinking of is land bridge. You're thinking uh, that's the, when
0: they walked like from the from the former Soviet Union to uh, Anchorage. Correct. Okay. Correct. They, can, were, so, they, me, they were Soviets. Can, okay. can, I, can I give you my third one? Yeah. Let's now, just, this one is a personal mission, uh, and this is more of something that I would like to try and uh, advocate for, or as the grammarians would say, that I'd like to advocate for. Which? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you would for which like to advocate. Okay, John thank yes. you y- yes and what do you say you're welcome thank you thank you for sitting you know what thank you for saying thank you for saying you're welcome i've realized i'm becoming troubled by no problem no problem think about it thank you no problem
1: well you know what you know where i, where I think that's coming from it's coming from the ubiquitous denata oh you find that ubiquitous well, the, it, it is no longer ubiquitous, but there was a, there was a time there in the 80s mm-hmm. and early 90s when the kind of Jimmy Buffettization of the Southwest was happening, <laughs> and everybody <laughs> was wearing puka shells, and there was a lot of denada happening. Mm-hmm. Denata, hey! Hey, <clears throat> hey, Cheech, denata! I think it's and got a th-
0: little bit of Spicoli to it, too.
1: There's some Spicoli to it, and I think it just—that uh, has passed, that the, that dark cloud has passed in America, but I think one of the residuals of it is that people say no problem now, when what they mean is you're welcome.
0: And the the, the two the two that that may be worse than that, uh, one uh, uh, waitstaff, not mm. a problem.
1: Ugh, yeah.
0: What 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 the fuck does that mean? Thank you, not a problem. What? <laughs>
1: yeah, well. I, my belief in that is that the, the, the waitstaff in America, at least, have been trained by one another, by no, by no outside force, but they have trained one another to think that they are an oppressed class of, of artists and poets mm-hmm. who have been forced into waiting, who have been forced into servitude hmm. by an unjust system. So every time you say, hey, thanks, you know, thanks for that glass of water that I asked for 11 minutes ago, mm-hmm. and they say, not a problem, what they're, what they're trying to say to you is, I shouldn't be waiting tables. I should be on the big stage.
0: Oh, that's good. Not, I should be one of Madonna's
1: dancers. And it's like, no, you shouldn't. You should have brought me this glass of water four minutes ago right after I asked for it.
0: Oh, boy. This is, I mean, that's a big card. And then the, fi- the final one I just want to leave off. And this is, this is seriously punchable. Beach bar or taqueria or barista shit. Um, It's all good. It's all good. I really don't like it's all good in any form or fashion, but especially. And now, so anyway, now let me ask you this. Here's the big one. And this is the one I struggle with. This is the one I struggle with. No, it's all good. You know what? Hey, shaka bra. (laughs) Date rape. puka shell. Oh, date rape. You got to throw that in. Whenever someone says thank you. Just merely say, say date hey, rape. That, brog, now that's the Jimmy Buffett way to do it, you know. Yeah. There it's date rape. The um, okay, and, and then now here's the final. Oh God, this is tedious. I'm gonna cut all this out. Yeah. Uh, and this is the one where I suffer because here's my feeling. My feeling is that when someone says thank you, you should respond by saying you're welcome. And you know what my biggest defender is. And if you don't mind, would you, would you please say thank you? Thank you. Thank you.
1: Oh right, that's very Bellingham.
0: It's well, and it's very it's very waitstaffy. Like yeah. it, you know what I mean. It's it's and but I, I don't mind that one so much. But I think I can do. You know what? I think I'm capable of better. And I think that we as a culture are better. Most of us has, have been on waitstaff, John. I think what yeah. we're saying here is mm-hmm. we're not simply teaching each other as waitstaff to be passive aggressive because we're not on Broadway, so to mm-hmm. speak. But mm-hmm. I think we're also developing a kind of cultural inbreeding where mm-hmm. there's nobody that's intervening to say, you know what? It's okay to be a professional waiter no i did not right. say server i did not say waitron <laughs> that gentleman who brought us the steak that place do you remember he brought us yeah, he brought yes, us fruit on a plate with giant knives
1: he did he was a he was a middle-aged man he was an old he was older than we were and he had dignity and he had he had grace
0: now, how many times well um, you know what we should take you out of but the, the equation but, this, but, I, but I think but,
1: it's i think it's more i think the epidemic is worse in the sense that no one in america now and by when, when i say no one in america i mean none of the none of the shitty overeducated West coast people that we know Mm -hmm. and the shitty overeducated East coast people who have been imitating shitty overeducated West coast people for 20 years. None of these people can accept a thank you. It isn't, it isn't, it's not just a a problem of, of, of all of the many different problems we've, we've uh, elucidated so far. It is that, what they have convinced themselves that to be thanked in that way is in itself a kind of classism, or it's they they don't want to be put and I think this is behind your like thank you. You, you oh, become, absolutely you become uncomfortable even in even being put in a position of power so great as to be thanked for something that you did.
0: No, I I, I am unworthy and I reject your colonialism.
1: Right. Which is why when people say thank you to me, sometimes I will respond with It was my pleasure.
0: Oh, no, I think that's lovely. Or the, the, you know what else? I like the pleasure was all mine.
1: The pleasure was all mine. Or just simply my pleasure.
0: And if I really believe it, and if I honestly feel this way, and I thought it was a great opportunity, I'll say uh, it it was an honor to do.
1: Exactly. And those are things, that what that does is it honors the person's gratitude and 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 it honors it by accepting that you have done something for them instead of saying no 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 i i am un, i am unworthy of your gratitude i mean that is a you con- think that's,
0: both, that's both, it's a book ended nation you think both coasts are contributing to this do you think this is part of our evolving leftist culture he said wishing he already wishing he hadn't said it
1: yes i okay. do and yes i do and i think the people yeah. in the center of america i think those corn fed truck driving center americans if you say thank you to them they go you're welcome my pleasure Hi. anything anything else i can do to help
0: i like that i you know what i gotta tell you i like civility with strangers i don't like over familiarness i'm on record for this but I, I love civility amongst strangers i
1: know it's it's how the it's, it's the, so nice it's the oil that keeps it all running
0: because here now to your point now, i'm gonna take a slightly different point of view on this but 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 here's the problem is that i think the same fucking reason that people don't use turn signals these people hmm. should not be allowed to drive if they don't use turn signals turn signals do not make you weak well, maybe in your case, because you're clearly doing some secret work that we probably can't get into. But well, I think, you don't want to turn your turn
1: signal on if you feel like you're being
0: followed. No, no, no. But you, unless you know it's what? a
1: distraction or a diversionary. if area. you
0: never turn it on, that's a, that's a rookie mistake. Sometimes you can turn it the wrong way, be in the wrong lane, and know got, when to get over.
1: I got into this situation the other day. I was coming to, to – uh, I came to an intersection where no one ever uses their turn signal because it's one of those uh, – it's an intersection where the, the arterial route makes a, a free left. Right, nobody goes straight there because it's a dead end. So it's an arterial, but the but it's a turn, a left hand turn. Mm-hmm. And I'm coming to this intersection. I'm at this intersection every day. No one ever uses their turn signal. So I arrive here and there is a taxi coming at a right angle to me. And I just assumed he was gonna make the left and pulled out in front of him. And he, he was he was a taxi that was that didn't know the neighborhood that was looking for an address down that dead end road. And he 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 was from Eritrea uh, and he made some Eritrean gesture with his hands and his forehead and his hair where he was just like What is wrong with your brain? And he, he like he pull, he put his both hands in his hair and pulled his hair straight up in the air like your brain is is like in your hair. I think was what I think may that your, was. May your sorghum be consumed by rats. <laughs> and I was so like amazed by the gesture. Like my brain is in my hair. <laughs> that 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 it took me a second before I realized. Like oh, I completely created a traffic accident there by assuming that that, that nobody's ever going to use their turn signal here. Right. And 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 I was in the wrong, and I I put my foot on the brake, and I I did a little bow to him, and I was like. I beg your forgiveness. Oh, God bless you, John. That my is so brain cool. is in my hair.
0: <laughs> Do you think you'll pick up that gesture?
1: Well, what was amazing was it required that he put his foot on the brake and take both hands off the steering wheel and like and give himself like a, a fright, like a like an eraser head.
0: Hair, oh hair, so so like- I'm so I'm trying to do it with my own two hands. Do you, do you just put your is it like a like a frustrated make a racer head hair like you're frustrated? It ha- yeah,
1: it happened so fast. Like his hands went up to his forehead like like OMG and then zip right up through his hair so his hair was standing straight up and then it, he he ended like his dismount was <laughs> that his hands on both sides of his head were up in like up in the air like what is wrong with you? Oh, so it's
0: an OMG to a WTF,
1: an OMG to a WTF, with in the middle an eraser like an eraser head, like fro pick. That's a fucking great move. It was a great move, and it was not. It was not an American move. It Mm -hmm. was an African move, and it was like you, sir. I mean, because he's probably come to an intersection before where the where there was a convoy of Toyota trucks with fifty caliber machine guns mounted in the back, Mm -hmm. and he probably made that same gesture, and they were like. We spare you. You live. You mm-hmm. live today. Yes. So it worked again for him.
0: I just, I just think not being civil to strangers does not make you powerful. And it I, I sounds silly but, but, to have to say that, but I think a lot of people think that if you're a dick to the waitress, that gives you a little bit of power. I'm this, not talking about whether good or bad service. I'm just saying being a dick is just to be a dick.
1: This is the problem of Bellinghamming, Merlin, which is that people think that when you say thank you and they go, thank you, or they say no, that they're actually being civil when in fact they're being cunts.
0: That's, mm. well, that's good. Well, And no, and, and, and it really is true. And it goes for lots of things. Now, the other one, and this is really probably going too far now, but compliments. When Sometimes someone will pay me a compliment, and because of my, my horrible combination of arrogance and zero self-esteem, it, I will start not precisely rejecting it, but I end up fishing for more compliments because now I'm describing why I'm unworthy of that. And that's something <laughs> I'm trying really hard to stop doing. And you know yeah. what I'm trying to say? I, I think I might have learned this from – I forget who I learned this from. I want to say Colton, but like you just say thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. And then they say, no problem. And I fucking hit him in the balls.
1: Well, in those situations, this is what I learned from my brother, Bart. In those situations where someone is complimenting you for something for a performance that you just did or something that you, that your instinct is to say, you know what, actually, like people come up to me right after a show. And they're like, that was amazing. And for years, my response to that was, actually, it was a shitstorm," And the fact that you liked it means that you don't have any taste. <laughs> Because my feeling when I walk off a stage is, is generally like, I'm running down all the ways that I fucked up. You think
0: Rihanna does
1: that? I don't think she does. Yeah. Uh, And, and I would, you know, I would come off the stage and people would crowd around and be like, that was, that was the greatest show ever. And I'd be like, actually, it was in the bottom 2% of all shows ever performed by a human being. (laughs) And what would happen is these people would be like, Crestfallen. Because not only did I not accept their compliment, but I, but I abused them.
0: You, you showed them the Matrix. You, said, you made them yeah. realize, you know what, that actually wasn't that good.
1: Yeah, and then an hour later, after I would processed, after I've been through my, my my whole process, I realized, like, oh, now that show was pretty good. Why did I just abuse all those people? And my brother Bart was standing around after a show. This is years ago. I haven't done this since my 20s. But he's standing around after a show, and he heard me do that, like, say to somebody, like, um, no, actually, that was a that was a, It was basically a puddle of vomit, but I'm glad you came paid your ticket. By a shirt, <laughs> but, asshole. <laughs> and Bart walked up to me and he said, John, don't take the pleasure of the show away from people. If you can't accept their compliment, just say, I'm glad you enjoyed it. And I was like, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Hmm. And I walked around for a week or two practicing that. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And that that accepts them. Mm,
0: it, it, that's it comp- a little bit big city.
1: But you know what I mean. It is mm-hmm. a way of getting if if you cannot in that moment accept the compliment,
0: you can. Oh, I see. S- that's your fallback. You can at least say, "Okay, I'm glad you enjoyed it." Try try saying it again with just a tiny bit more stress on you. I'm glad you. Yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's a different sentence. <laughs> it really
1: is. But I mean, if you can just if you can just like. Put your make your face into a mask and say, "I'm glad you enjoyed it." It's it gets you through that first hour after a show. Yeah. where I want you to die because you came to my show. Mm, I want my yeah. audience to die. I want them to choke on their enjoyment of my show. I can't
0: believe you people. Ha- I can't believe you people saw that whole thing and didn't leave. Exactly. exactly. Um, I might be on a, on a, on a slow Prius ride to Bellingham with this one, but I I think where it's possible, and this is a little bit. Of civility, and this may be getting a little little too far. But uh, I think if it's at all possible to pay repay a kindness with another kindness, then that's not bad. So in that situation, I think another one might be, "Hey, thanks, and thanks for coming to the show." Yeah, but that's not my style. No, hmm. that feels a little bit like a that feels a little bit like a like a pat on the ass. Hey, thanks. I think, uh, I think it goes beyond the improv thing. I think in, when we're in conversations with people, I think we should always try and do more than 50%. Not of the talking necessarily, but of the, of the propelling the conversation. Of the know, heavy lifting. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's like any kind of communication, any kind of a job, any kind of thing you do. If you want it to be good, you should be, However many end people are involved, you should be dedicated to doing much more than one nth of the work, whether that's well, put, yes. putting on a party or whatever. Although when
1: somebody when – so, I've seen this happen with you. When somebody says something that sticks in your craw, you roll up the drawbridge.
0: What, what, like, uh, what do you mean? <laughs> I don't get – my craw doesn't get stuck very often.
1: But sometimes somebody will say something where you're like, oh, really? And then, then you go into that mode of like 100% of the conversation is on you now.
0: And oh, I'm, oh no, I'm no, going John! To, this is I'm this a, is my. I to
1: watch you and watch you squirm on the end of the you line. You may
0: be Batman, but I am very <laughs> good at being Robin. I can do my own. Ver- if somebody needs to be corrected, I just want to make it clear to our listeners. John mm. helps way more people than me, but he I was. have I have helped the fuck out of a lot of people who needed it. I believe it. Often by showing them a slightly lower peg that they might be more comfortable <laughs> with. <laughs> Often, often by stripping away the nice <laughs> Welcome cities. to our frat party. I think you – have you met
1: Ahmed? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I understand. You have to understand that I like, I like civility. I like people being nice to each other. And I can even put up with a certain amount of bullshit. Yes, I know you can. But but I, I will not be trifled with. No, you I, will, when, when, it, when it comes to certain matters, I will not be trifled with. No, and, this usually happens when somebody thinks – I've seen this happen. A young man – You're talking about in the hotel lobby.
1: A young man who feels that he is—he wants to parry. He wants to he parry. He feels that he is at your level, and he he hears you. You know, he hears you jesting, and he wants to be a part of it. And he thinks the way in is to insult you, comedically, as a kind of like, "I'm here. I'm here too." You get two can, two
0: freebies. I can two, play two, this. Two game. freebies, no problem. Right, and then the third one well the third one the third you only get two gloves buddy when those are gone (laughs) you better put up those skinny little ivy league educated fists of yours yeah um no no it's uh you know what it is though it it really is something where i I feel like i've learned a lot from you i've learned that some things not only should not but must not be suffered Hmm. you know what i mean I do know what you mean exactly what you and mean. and I think this is this is the problem with the society of ours is is that that it's okay. It's okay to do certain kinds of passive aggressive things and then like I'm supposed to sit there and go, oh, that's that's normal. when clearly you're trying to telegraph something completely different that in like this in this secret language of yours that I'm supposed or, or me or whomever is supposed to go like, oh yeah, that's that's cool, man. You know, And that, that will not stand. It should not stand. It and this not. is why we owe this. Can I just say we owe this to young people? The young people are such a fucking mess today, John. They really are. And I mean, I, you know, my sense is that they would be less of a mess if people would help them. Well, the thing about you and, and I, Merlin... Mm. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> it's all good. State <laughs> <date> rape. <laughs> the thing about you and I... <laughs> That's that, the worst. <laughs> Let that not be the meme for this show. Stop it now. It's never going to happen. It's never going to be in a shirt I don't want to see. it gonna on going to make Twitter. Some fan
1: art. They're making fan <laughs> art right now. There's uh, a fan <laughs> with some rubber gloves <laughs> and it's slapping Mike Love who's saying,
0: "Uh, here's your oh, here's your God. here's your latte and your scone. Thank you. Date rape." Uh,
1: is that we are willing in a hotel lobby or or somewhere else in public in a casual encounter? Let's say in a casual encounter with a with even with a stranger, we are willing to Talk about uh, to talk about what's behind the curtain. We are willing to talk about real things in in short term encounters, right? A lot of people keep their short term encounters so greased with you know with seven layers of hot butter just because they want to get out of there. A lot of it's status butter. If there's a lot of status butter, they just want to they want to they want to they want to get out of there with their with, like, their feeling, their, their dignity intact or what little dignity they have intact. Mm-hmm. And they're not ever willing to, to, certainly not willing to engage a stranger in a discussion about what what's behind the curtain. And so that's where you get all this. That's where there's just tr- tracks of hot butter everywhere we go in the city. Yeah. Because people are just slathered with, like, what they consider to be social lubricant. hmm and what it means is that no one is saying anything, and they're just trying to get home so that they can masturbate in front of the TV.
0: God bless you, that, but that's misplaced butter.
1: It's a it's a lot of wasted butter. And you and I will, and I've seen it. I've seen you do it a million times, and I do it also every day. We will stop. We will stop what we are doing in the middle of a casual encounter, and we will say something mm-hmm. about what is ha- what is really happening in that moment. And you you smell the. You smell the asbestos burning as these people try and change gears, <laughs> and you see the looks—the the the looks of like electroshock on their face
0: because they just slid their own
1: status butter because their butter is their butter is useless in this instance. You know they're are literally
0: hitting them with their own butter.
1: Their butter has encountered a spinning saw blade, and and you and I aren't trying to do anything except say what's happening. Like, OK, you're here. I'm here. Here's what's happening.
0: Well, well yeah, well, yeah, but there's like two important parts to that apart from the societal assistance, which is that, you know, you're yes, there is something else going on here and you're not winning at this. And now we're still friend. You are about to clearly in front of lots of people lose at this. Yeah. Because you I trying, used to do that trying. kid. I used to do exactly what you're trying to do right now. I used to be better at it. But now I'm really good at showing people what they're doing. <laughs> Did you ever, you ever see, I think I've mentioned this to you before, but I think one of my all time favorite movie scenes is in the uh, Jose Ferrer version of Cyrano de Bergerac. Are you familiar really? with the movie at all? I'm, I'm familiar with the book. Okay, well, and there's a wonderful scene in the movie. Jose Ferrer is just fantastic in this movie. There's a great scene at the, I think, toward the very, very beginning. Yeah, it's this is very, where
1: this is where Steve Martin uh, meets Holly Hunter. It's in the, it's in that movie too. Steve uh, Steve Martin is flying like a like he's a he's a he's a pilot that it puts out f- forest fires and he crashes. Yeah, Sleepless in Seattle. And then he's like. He's a ghost, but
0: but then he has that one volleyball. Patrick Swayze is there, and he put a volleyball face on it, put I a bird on it.
1: I didn't really watch a lot of movies in the '80s, but go ahead about your series. This is from
0: movie. I think the early '50s. It's black and white, and uh, yeah, I think if, uh, for Jose Ferrer had been in the play. French, it's French, right? But you know, so basically, uh, well, no, it's it's you know, it's a Hollywood movie, but it's uh, so anyhow. The, the point is, it's of the a Hollywood story,
1: movie starring someone named Jose mm,
0: Jose Ferrer. You know is Jose he,
1: Ferrer. <laughs> is he like riding a donkey and wearing he, a sombrero? I think you're thinking of uh, uh, Man of La Mancha. Man of La Mancha. (laughs) You know, I've actually been to La Mancha. There's really not much going on there.
0: Anyway... Uh, Cyrano's it's
1: a, it's in a theater. A trust Okay,
0: okay, I'm listening. This is like the third time this happens, and I'm literally so angry. Um, <laughs> no, so Cyrano's in a theater. He's very displeased with the performance. He basically stops the performance and makes fun of this guy, and he's it's very funny. And so this one, and of course, Cyrano has a rather prominent nose. He's and a smart guy, Cyrano. He's very smart, and he's the the best sword swordsman in France. Thanks. And uh, across from across the room, this dandy says that, um, oh, he this this man here, you know, he's very arrogant. He doesn't have any ribbons, and da da da. And so he. Walks So this guy walks over to Cyrano and he says, your nose is rather large. And Cyrano turns to him and goes, "My nose is rather large." And uh, long story short, uh, Cyrano says, basically says, "Well, and long, long story short, I'm about to kick your ass, but You're I'm so going com- to compose a ballad <laughs> while I kick your ass about all the ways you could have insulted me better." Mm. <laughs> and he says, Wait moment, "Give me a moment to get my rhymes," and then he he. Uh, he- he kicks the guy's ass and shows yeah. him all the all the different ways he could have done it better. And uh-huh. I, I rarely think about the scene from that movie until the asbestos starts burning and the butter starts melting. Yeah. And uh, anyway, I you know I think we all <laughs> need was, to help. People. That was a great recap of that scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, if what? I if I made fan art, yeah,
1: I would make some fan art about that story.
0: Do you remember when Steve Martin would have the arrow through his head? <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> that was funny. Oh man, That's he good as the Beatles. Got small. Beatles are good. (laughs) Are you always finding great articles on the web you'd love to read, but just don't have the time? Instapaper saves web pages for reading later for iPad, iPhone, Android, and Kindle. You can read when you're waiting online, riding the bus, eating breakfast, or lying in bed. You can even read offline. Great for when you're on a plane or the subway and don't have an internet connection. Pages are shown without clutter or distractions. You can adjust the text to a comfortable size and font and much more. Read more and read better by reading later with Instapaper. Get it now at instapaper dot com or search for Instapaper in the App Store.
1: <laughs> hey, wait a minute. We should. Oh, uh, we should have been talking about Hitler this whole time.
0: I didn't want to say anything, but um, there's so That's many all right. topics. We'll Talk about Hitler later. <laughs> yeah. I, see, the thing – I don't want to go into inside Baseball here, but I, I couldn't decide – you know what? This could be a work session for us maybe. This mm-hmm. is a chance to just toss some ideas around. Okay. All right. Uh, now, yeah. now I, would you think this should really be its own separate property? Or would this be a regular featured, uh for, for our listeners uh, who who haven't been with us, please go back and listen to the previous 30-something episodes.
1: Yeah. What are you doing? Why are yeah. you listening to this episode? start at the beginning.
0: That's like coming in at the end of a movie.
1: You can't possibly understand what we're talking about. Yeah. Unless you go back to the original episode where you didn't understand what we were talking about. And listen to 39 episodes where it's not really clear what we're talking about.
0: Absolutely, and the shame of it is, you come in, you hear a little bit talk about Hitler and a yeah. punchline that goes date rape, and that's going to sound really insensitive. Uncle Remus jokes? Oh my god, that sounds so racist. Until you go back.
1: Well, I-, I made a I made a joke about racism the other day, or yesterday, and uh, and the people that were on the, the that were the butt of the joke didn't appreciate being called racists in jest. Oh, really? Yeah, and I was like, hey, ra- calling you racists is funny, and they were like, I, I don't, we don't see how that's funny. I was like, "Oh well, you're not a very evolved." <laughs> um, it's typical for your yeah, type. It really is for your type of people. That's mm-hmm. right. Yeah, that's right. no, no a, a lot of them are true. very clean. Um, I feel like, well, see, my instinct is that we should have a completely separate podcast that we do once a week, where all we talk about is Hitler. But you're feeling like you're feeling like if we if we have a a whole separate podcast that that's gonna that that's going to split our listenership, and all the people that just want to hear about Hitler are going to listen to that, and they're going to stop listening to our main podcast where we help people.
0: Possibly, that mm. is that that is certainly one angle. It's a, what we in business development call cannibalization, and and uh, and and I feel like I want to grow the property more. Mm, thank, grow thank, the property. Thank you. Uh, mm-hmm. No, i <laughs> I think it's uh, I think it could be perfectly good. I got to tell you, just something just went through my head. Uh, theme music with tubas.
1: Oh, that's nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or, you, know, you know what we could do? Uh, uh, normally, when you call and you say, or, or I say hello, and you say, hi, John, and then I go, hi, Merlin. Oh, no, don't say it.
0: Please don't say it. Please don't say it. <laughs> what if I said, <laughs> no. Sieg Heil, Merlin? Ah! Merlin. <laughs> what is Sieg? What does that Sieg, mean?
1: Sieg, Sieg Sputnik.
0: <laughs> the different, the Love Sieg. Missile F-111. Right. What
1: is Sieg? That's a good question. Sieg uh, means comes uh, what? the keyboard. It means it means um, well. It's a river. It's a hmm. river in, in North Rhine-Westphalia.
0: Let's see. Sieg. How? Okay. I think I misspelled it. Translate from German. S i e g. Oh, see. I did the classic inversion. You did the S e i g, except when you're invading Poland. Yeah. Victorious healing. That doesn't huh. sound right. Mm. Sieg Heil. you know, I bet you know they got those laws. They got a lot of laws in Germany about uh, about talking. You can't about say Sieg Heil. There's all kinds of stuff you can't do. Well, now, then, yeah. now, I know at the far end of the continuum, you're not allowed to like wear swastikas. I don't think you're allowed to sell swastikas. You're probably no. not allowed to collect swastikas.
1: You're not. Ta- you're not allowed to have a website that uh, talks about collecting swastikas.
0: Hmm. I think that feels a little bit like a red herring.
1: Well, it is. It's the, it's the old thing, and this, we have, this happens in America all the time, which is the assumption that racists and bigots are as hung up on language and words as liberal intellectuals. Mm-hmm. So liberal intellectuals think that if they can erase the word, they will erase the bigotry. But bigots and racists really aren't, they don't care about words so much. Bigots and racists, if you, if you say, you can no longer say the word nigger. Mm-hmm. Bigots will, they will happily say the word urban instead. <laughs> they will raise their eyebrows and smirk and they'll say, it's an urban problem.
0: Well, and also and, don't, don't imagine for a minute that they're not mentally transliterating that with a different word. Oh,
1: absolutely, and they—they they know that all their friends know exactly what they're saying, but they have politified it so that it's now so socially acceptable, and they can say the exact same racist crap, crap trap, you know, clap, mm-hmm. clap a lap, blab a lap. <laughs> they can say the exact same stuff on television, and it's and it's acceptable now. It's it is just as racist at its core, but they've changed the word and. You know, and the liberals pat themselves on the back and say, "Well, we're making a real difference here." And it's a, and you know, and there is nothing more. There is nothing more liberal than modern Germany.
0: There really isn't, especially uh, in terms of like what you get, like big vacation time, and there's all kinds oh, of ways. I'm sorry, sure. do, you, do you mean strictly in politics, but also in po- policy about things like economics, right?
1: I mean, in, uh, I mean, mentally, intellectually, Germany is a modern liberal democracy, and they do all this type of they do all this type of overthinking of stuff but
0: nationalism has not gone away in greece isn't it like exploding in greece right now
1: it's exploding all over europe because nationalism is what happens when people feel like when 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 stupid people don't understand what's happening anymore it, nationalism is what is the result of it when people that don't read books feel like people that are reading books are are stepping on their their necks you get nationalism also with farmers well yeah and immigrants
0: now you've been you've been to Germany f- more than once, right? I have been to Germany one hundred million times. Um, I'm curious about how that works in practice because i had I had a, uh, I had a, a rebound uh, girlfriend uh, who was German. She's very Ooh. young. Oh, she's Ooh. really a, yeah, young. Young Germans. She's tw- twenty and, and six feet tall.
1: Yeah, they feel very strongly about things. Young Germans do.
0: Well, uh, they they will sit in
1: their bars and they will spill beer on you and tell you all the reasons that America is stupid.
0: Well, here's the thing. Now she was from very far East. She was from a place uh, called Passau, which was Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. right. It was like, it was like in stripes. I think when they rolled the tanks, (laughs) when they, when they ride the tank, I think that Uh was probably right. I mean, it was basically Czechoslovakia more than it was Germany, but she was too young to remember before the war. Well, here's the thing. I mean, I mean, before the wall uh no no i mean she'd she'd been alive for that this is this is like uh well, you know over a decade ago oh i see this is back in the day you know i've been i've been with the same lady for 13 years but um <laughs> sorry. <I sure> know. <laughs> but the um but the thing about the thing about this was though is that i don't think i went super crazy with the hitler stuff but 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 when you're when you're a provocative man in in his 30s with a 20 year old german girl it's hitler's gonna come up of course and she'd cry Oh, she yeah. she would cry so two things about her she refused to tip for anything because she was German right German and she Trump was too. super duper sensitive about even getting anywhere near World War II in general you know what I mean it's like it really is like that faulty towers thing you know with, don't mention the war it was yeah. it was absolutely like that and she would she would burst into tears and and talk about like you know people not understanding like what a sensitive issue that was and' that's obviously and or her saying specifically I wasn't there it's not my fault which I, I get right. But you know, still.
1: It's very embarrassing, but you know, it, is it like that? I
0: guess what I'm asking you is did, was that your impression when you were there, you don't you don't just walk around and ask questions like like, you know, was your grandpa on the SS or something like that? Sure, you do. I I people uh, you you do or lots
1: of people do i i don't know if it's part of like uh, other people's tourist experience or i'm not sure if if one of those tour buses pulls up into the square (laughs) and the and the guide stands at the front of the bus and says okay everybody we're here in uh we're here in Passau now as you walk
0: around make sure you ask if anybody's uncle was in the ss this strudel is great is it true (laughs) that the gay jews had to wear two triangles one was pink and yellow
1: yeah. Now, I, the black
0: ones were troublemakers? Is that right?
1: I love talking about World War II and Hitler. Do you know about Hitler. the patches? Do you know about, I'm and, sorry, do
0: you know about all those? You didn't get a bar if you're a troublemaker? Did you know that? Of course. Of course I knew that. I'm sorry. Please continue. Uh, talking to
1: modern Germans about World War II and Hitler is a fascinating uh, exercise because everybody there has a different feeling about it, and everybody has a different family history. And, you know, it's, it is it is a nation that, at least for the last 50 years, has been processing that experience every day. Every person in that country is processing that experience every day. Even the ones who are like, it's not my fault, I don't want to think about it. They are processing it every day. And each interaction that happens in Germany between two Germans, it's it's there in the room with them.
0: Are you kidding? Not at all. So it's a... <clears throat> so like bringing at, least, it up, at least once a day, it goes through somebody's mind. Absolutely. So wow, that's a lot you, to walk around with.
1: When you bring it up with people there, you are acknowledging the 800-pound gorilla in the room, and a lot of people are relieved because it relieves the pressure to be able to talk about it. And, you know, of course, everyone has a different experience of it, and and there are young people who feel like that, that everyone in Germany is complicit in it, and there are a lot of people, the prevailing wisdom is that, you know, we have atoned... And it's a it's very complicated, you know. The, the, after the war, I mean, I walked across Germany, right? I spent, um, of course, I spent two months walking through fields and going under little stone bridges and back in their for the, in their deep forests. And everywhere I was, I was looking for that that one swastika that someone had not chipped off of a bridge abutment. Because when the Nazis were building things, they built a lot of things and they put swastikas all over everything. And after the war, they have gone through every inch of that country and chipped every little swastika off of every little concrete culvert so that there is – they have erased it completely. There is no – you will not find a a little swastika in the corner somewhere. Do you think there are
0: any masons that had to undo their own work?
1: Hmm, interesting, or like seventh-level mages. Mm-hmm.
0: If somebody, but I, I wonder. I mean, it, you're right. It was it was like FDR to the hundredth level. There was a lot of work to be done, and a lot of a lot of bridges, and a lot of what. But in every single, but you know, every but single but, but but the same addict. people who put those on probably had to take it off.
1: Well, I don't know. A lot of the people that put them on probably are dead, or were dead after the war. Mm-hmm. But oh, in they, they every were they were pretty attic, low. Okay, they yeah. were they were low on dudes. Let's say at the end of that war, low, on, low on, on marriageable men. But every attic in every home in the country has a picture of great grandfather in his Wehrmacht outfit, at the very least. And I did find one time, stop me if I've told you this story before, but I, I, I was in a little, I was up in the mountains in a little town called, Gar- well, it's not a little town, it's actually a pretty big town, Garmisch Partenkirchen.
0: This, this, I- is, this is not the, the hunting tuba festival.
1: This is not the hunting tube festival. Okay. This is down in this is down in Bavaria. Okay. I was up in the mountains and I was, you know, there are hikers, the Germans, and particularly in the Alps. And I'm hiking around. It's it's in the it's in the Alps. And I find a little chapel. And it's not a it's not a chapel where where religious services are. The the Germans have all these little these little chapels in the forest because in fact, they never fully abandoned paganism. Like, the Germans have have adopted Christianity, and it was one of the hotbeds of Christianity in the early oh. years, but really they are still a pagan people. And they go out into the forest, and they worship berries, and they worship squirrels, and they worship leaves and dirt, and they cover themselves with pear juice <laughs> and have sex in chapels. I have no the- idea how much of this to believe. <laughs> So they have little chapels everywhere. You go you're walking out in the forest and you're like, I no one has ever been here. I'm deep in the forest. Is it like, then,
0: a, like a druid kind of thing?
1: Yes. There will be little and they're they're Christian, right? There's a Jesus in them. There's a there's a cross and there's a Jesus. But the Jesus is draped in pine boughs that someone has recently cut. Some forest hunter has come and draped the Jesus with pine boughs and made flower garlands that are that they drape around the Jesus in a very very pagan kind of naturalistic offering to the to the forest Christ. It's a it's a very strange thing out there in the woods of Germany, let me tell you. But I found one of these forest chapels up on the side of the mountain and on the back wall of it there were pictures of all of the all of the men from the neighboring town that had been killed in the war and they were all in their, uh, in their uniforms and there were Gestapo guys up there and there were SS guys up there and there were just a lot of Wehrmacht uh, normal guys. But they, all these pictures on the back of this chapel that you wouldn't have been able to see in, uh, unless you went around and you know kind of like pushed your way through the woods or whatever. Here was this shrine to the men of the town and they all there were flowers draped all over these photographs, and they were. It was obviously tended by people from the village. That was the only instance that I ever saw of like a public acknowledgement, and it, by public I mean perched on the side of a cliff somewhere, but still outside of someone's home. This kind of this temple or or a, or mausoleum to these guys. These Nazi
0: guys. And, and just, like you are saying, hip. for some reason I'm thinking about uh, Slaughterhouse-Five and uh, you know, Billy, Billy, uh, Billy Pilgrim is getting you know, picked up at the end of the war. And one of the, one of the guys uh, – I guess it's like what, 44? Yeah, I guess 44, 45. But anyway, uh, one of the guys – Oh, whatever it takes. <laughs> one of the guys is uh, a very old man. In the mm. mopping up party and mm. the other one is like a, like a 14 or 15-year-old kid or something. I mean it got that bad, right? After, after 44. It, there it, was it, no it got one that between desperate. the ages of like 16 and 50. No one left. That's astounding. And so, you know, it's a, I mean like – boy, this is where we really need a separate show for this. But I mean you know, per capita, their, their losses uh, were, were greater than ours in terms of losses in, in combat.
1: You know, one of the funny things about the story of World War II that, that it's a, it, it never gets told is that after the war, of course, there were Germans, before the war, there were Germans living all through what we think of as Poland, Czech Republic, Slovakia, Hungary, Romania. There were massive German populations in all of Eastern Europe that were historical populations that had, some of them had been living, some of those areas were historically german for 900 years like germans had been living there as the resident population surrounded by slavs but it was a german part of poland or it wasn't called poland then it was you know prussia or or the germans colonized all of eastern europe and after the war all those countries those you know newly reconstituted countries they wanted the germans out and it didn't matter if they, if those German families had been living in that part of Hungary for 900 years. They wanted the Germans out, and so there was a massive exodus, a forced exodus, of Germans from all of Eastern Europe, where they were marched back to Germany, a place where they had never lived. A place you're, where you're, you're
0: talking here. Not, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but you you're, you're not talking about the people who were quietly relieved. That that Germany was gonna make their place more Germanified. You're talking about like a forced, like, uh, uh, what a Stalin-style like relocation. Like you've got to go back. You're being forced. You're repatriated to the, back to Germany.
1: repatriated back to Germany, a place where you have never lived. I totally never. Great grandparents never, never knew lived. That. Yeah, you've been living in Hungary, albeit speaking German, but living in Hungary for you know your family has been here since. <sighs> that is really ambitious. 1500, and you are out now you are gone and they marched what ended up being like a million people uh villagers basically like marched them back to germany and they all arrived in germany which was a completely bombed out resourceless smoking hole of of like war rubble and then all of a sudden all these other people showed up who had never lived a day of their lives in Germany and they were like, well, hi, uh, we're, <laughs> we're here too. You got room, got room at the bombed out inn for us and our, and my six kids, whatever. It was a, it was, it's a thing that it's part of the World War II story that doesn't get told because uh, all the people that got hurt in that war, like the, some little like Burgermeister from, Hungary that had to walk back to Germany is like, it's pretty small potatoes considering what else was happening in 1946. Right. But in fact, there's like a million people being forced marched back to a country that they've never, that they never lived in. It's it's one of the like untold stories.
0: What do you know about, um, I think we might have mentioned this before, what do you know about the, um, what, what they now call like, you know, the Fillmore, Western edition, Japan town. What do you know about the relocations in, uh, in San Francisco? In, yeah, you know about that? No. Uh, I mean, and I, this is something I should probably bone up on for the official Hitler and stuff. But uh, <laughs> there used to be a, you know, a, a large Japanese population. Oh, sure. In you know Japantown. And, um, but but also you know moving into what has become to be called you know the Western Edition, which is really kind of the westernmost part, as this name implies, of San Francisco for a long time. Right. And uh, but the way I understand it is that at the time they started the um, uh, what's it called the um, internments. Right. You know, a lot of people got sent to, like, fucking Arizona. You know, they were sent to these really faraway places out in the middle of nowhere. Angel Island, out in the middle of San Francisco Bay, is where, like, a whole bunch of Japanese people had to go and live for several years.
1: They lived there, or they were there as a part of a relocation where they eventually were sent to Arizona? Um, they actually lived on Angel Island?
0: I, I believe that's the case. I've, there's a, um, there's, like, a <laughs> visitor center. There's, like, a whole, uh, historic, uh thing out there yeah go google it um hmm. but uh yeah pretty bad news but the, the story goes uh that a lot of their homes were basically they were sent to Angel Island, and in their homes were placed a lot of people who were going to work in the factories, mm-hmm. which, as it happened, were a lot of African-American people. So they pushed out all the Japanese people, gave their homes over to the – I'm sorry, I'm using that term I don't like – to the then uh, the Black or Negro people, and uh, and they worked in the the shipyards mm-hmm. and all of that. And then after those jobs went away, it kind of turned into a slum because those jobs weren't there anymore, and it wasn't like the Japanese people got to come back and claim their house again. Right. It's just it's it's pretty amazing the kind of shit that goes on in a war and depending on who won and who gets to put up the plaques you know the stuff that you never find out about C- certainly town- during the civil war certainly during the civil war that's absolutely just true as well. Well, as my as my high school AP
1: history teacher said, some families are still
0: fighting the civil war. Yeah, he was an
1: idiot. Um, yeah. The, the Japantown in Seattle uh, was similarly decimated, and then after the war, they. It had, it had also, it had become kind of a shanty town, and uh, they tore it down to build one of the very first public housing projects in America on the site of Seattle's, you know, like historic 100-year-old Japantown. And uh, the Japanese of the, of the Pacific Northwest re- did return to the city, but they didn't want to live in Japantown anymore, and they moved out to the suburbs. Uh, so anyway, that became a public housing project called uh, Rainier Vista. And uh, then when they were building the freeway, of course they plowed the freeway right through there because that was nobody was going to fight for that. And so what used to be Japantown is now basically just a it's just a sinkhole where um where the freeway runs. Wow. Pretty pretty sad story. My dad, you know, my dad of course grew up in Seattle and he all, uh, many of his friends in the thirties were Japanese. And I, I used to, when, when, when my dad, when we had a funeral for my dad here in Seattle, it was in a, uh, the, uh, the lobby of a big hotel. And I published a obituary for him in the newspaper because I knew that a lot of these guys were out there, that there wasn't anywhere to any other way to reach him, but like put a, put a big obituary in the paper and they, the newspaper wrote an article about him. And so I, we're at his funeral service and all these little old dudes, Start walking in, these little 88 year old Japanese guys huh. that are, and they're all about four foot 11. And I'm walking around and I'm like, hello, you know, I'm John Roderick. I'm David Roderick's kid. And these guys are like, oh, God, your dad was such a good basketball player. <laughs> what? And my dad we would tell these stories where he went to Broadway High School in Seattle which has since been turned into a community college. But he said Broadway high school was undefeated in basketball because we had all the Japanese students and the Japanese were the absolute best basketball players in the city. And most are you kidding me? No, most of my dad's closest friends were either Jews or Japanese. This is before the war. And so when, when Pearl Harbor was bombed, dad used to tell this story he went down to japantown to visit a friend of his and he showed up at the house and they were being forced to sell all of their stuff have i told you this story no and my dad sits in the living room and his friend's mom is standing there in the doorway and a and a a a white guy comes you know in a fedora and walks through the house like he owns the place (laughs) and he says i'll give you five dollars for the refrigerator and his friend's mom is like, it's a brand new refrigerator. You know, it costs $60 or something like that. The guy's like, well, today it's worth five bucks. And they were like, okay, five bucks, fine. And this guy kind of walks through their house and he buys all their stuff, all their furniture and their new appliances and just is paying them like insulting money. And is kind of insulting about it. And my dad is 19 years old and sitting there in his basketball shoes, just furious, just wanting to punch this guy in the face but the, his friend and their family was they were being like put on a train and sent out to central california where they were going to live in a camp for the rest of the war and my dad went down and enlisted in the navy and was sent to fight the japanese and throughout the whole war he's having this very you know something that i think specific to the pacific coast these you know these guys who grew up with japanese and they right. were the Nisei were their were their tightest bros and they did not they did not have that same feeling that i think a lot of americans had that the japanese were dehumanized or were like this alien foreign people and my dad was like ah oh, my friends <laughs> these are my these are my guys these guys are great basketball players i mean they're not tall guys but right. they really you know they take it to the net um so the rest of his life uh, Anyway, sit, sitting at his funeral and watching all these little guys come in and, like, stand around and...
0: Especially and, uh, given... So, had you known about this basketball stuff before?
1: Oh, yeah. He talked about it his whole life, you know. Right. That, but that, you also
0: uh, know he shot a zero out of the sky with his 45.
1: There, and My dad told a lot of stories, <laughs> but, in fa- but in fact, like, like, a, like a lot of men in my family, if you start to doubt that those stories are true, then a, a guy will walk in... <laughs> off the street and be like oh absolutely I watched your dad shoot a zero down with a 45 like I I waited my whole life for that guy to come in and say like yeah sure I saw it happen because his stories were constantly confirmed by you know by independent sources by these weird situations where but I did not expect that many that many I didn't expect that many of these guys to still be alive but let alone that they would all come in and talk about talk about Seattle before the war you know mm-hmm. uh, and that they all were that the, either either they went into the army or they spent the war in camps, and they came back to Seattle afterwards and started, re you know started their businesses up again and. It's a it's a. Well, I mean I don't, know, I don't know how
0: much of it is I mean I have to, uh, I I again I'm not going to sit here and surf the internet for this but supposedly in a lot of the camps they'd sit around and like make fucking American flags. Yeah, <laughs> their 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 their, their uh, patriotism was if you like unflagging. <laughs> it's just that's mind blowing. But like the thing is, it's like I mentioned this before. But when you first see color photos of World War II, it changes it completely because it looks like pictures of Vietnam. Mm-hmm. In the sense that when you see a bunch of guys, you know GIs in the jungle in color, it looks so different and so much more. That sounds silly, but it seems so much more real. Y- your father having first hand experience. Of 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 dealing uh, with pe- with Japanese people makes that such a complicated thing. I think for a lot of people, World War II is this high contrast black and white war in every conceivable sense. Where uh, you know you see pictures of Hitler up there. You ever seen the pictures of Hitler practicing? You know, oh, you know you're
1: talking he, about practicing uh, to sign the his moves. The, he would the, he would the,
0: practice his moves and have people photograph it and then pick out which of his like stentorian speaking moves would be most effective. <laughs> oh, he's such. But a... you see, but go listen to wow. something like there's this, there's these uh, singers are like the comedian harmonists, which are this this group of like mostly Jewish guys. You know, they were part of that whole crazy party scene in like Berlin. You know, you watch something like freaking you know cabaret. It's it was raging and and it's so bizarre to see and i thought this was handled well in like uh what's that uh the adrian which movie the piano is that what it's called the pianist oh yeah the pianist just that sense of impending downhillness that you know that like it started out it was a real slow burn at first and it was merely insulting treatment but to know that these were people that there were so many people who were wealthy that had roots there, You know, mm-hmm. that's to me where it becomes so staggering is when you take the contrast of seeing, like, newsreel footage of, of people doing the Charleston or whatever and sitting around, you know, in expensive clothes and know that those people would be dead in, like, fucking 10 years.
1: Well, what's incredible is that the the intellectual life of Europe for at least 400 years prior to the 20th century was so threaded through with jewish intellectual culture you couldn't separate them the the, uh, in the 1700s the germans were already you know worried that the jews were kind of getting above their station or whatever and they were always trying to make these separations between like this is high german culture this is german thinking this is german art but the jews and their intellectual culture were were already like like a plaid through all of like european culture and to think that to think that in the 20th century the, there would still be the, be this idea that you could you could eradicate what had what was ultimately like a culture that was your that was your culture you could not separate just as we could not separate jewish culture from american culture now all of our culture is ultimately when you trace it back to who wrote it it was probably a couple of jewish guys in a room somewhere you know there is no american uh there is no 20th century pop culture without the jews without jewish culture you couldn't, you can't <laughs> That's separate. That's a good way to t- put it, right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There is no television. There is no rock and roll. sure
0: a lot of cool movies we wouldn't have.
1: You know what I mean? There's mm-hmm. no, there is no American literature. There is no without, and I'm not saying that they, that the, the Jews are responsible for it all, but their influence, their participation in the, in the culture, you could, it's inextricable. And the idea that it's, that it, that it, and this was absolutely true in Germany, even to a greater extent in the seventeen and eighteen and 1900s, or, you know, uh, uh, early 20th century, it was just as threaded in their culture as it is in ours, the, the presence and the participation of the Jews. And to think that there was ever a way, or to, th- to even imagine that it was a separate thing.
0: Well, that's, that's the really bananas thing is I, like I said, I spent like an hour the other night reading about the different, uh, you know, patches in the camps. And at every stage of this, it's, it's, it's fascinating and incredibly well organized how they did this. It's really bizarre. You know, they had some for, uh, for Roma. They had some for people who, and the thing is like homosexuals, they have the pink triangle. It was really any kind of, any, anybody who had been convicted of a sex crime in court was mm. what it was specifically it's just the that happened triangle. to be yeah that happened to be mostly mostly gay people but it was also pedophiles anybody uh it p- could be like uh man on know, dog lady horses but no but that's what that's what pink triangle meant and then uh and green ones they called them the green triangles were like the uh criminals and but oh. then but then truly and this is like how good is this from a design standpoint you had to get a special extra yellow one to form a star of david if you were jewish as well like how dark is that but in reading that you see absolutely jews were singled off for special treatment but in the same way way it would be bananas for us to say let's take out all the jewish culture and then call that american well what was happening over there how do you come up with something that's purely german culture how do you take out the dutch component of that how do you take out the french component of that how do you take out the um you know I, again what is that what's going to be left it's <laughs> you're gonna have less than tubas at that point it's just it doesn't it's it's so bananas that you could get to a point where that seemed like anything sensible you know it's what just I mean? as
1: crazy now when you you read it in the newspaper every single day there are people talking about American culture like it is a monolithic thing that they can identify the components of and and these other things like Hispanics or any kind of immigration uh or or uh, us people out here on the west coast with our faggy ways and our rock music <laughs> or whatever it is like there are tons and tons of people in America that think that there is an American culture that is being assaulted by all these these uh, terrifying outside influences and it's like there is no such thing the terrifying outside influences are absolutely american culture staring you in the face that's it it's uh i mean the germans the germans were so traumatized by napoleon
0: yeah that, that, that far back
1: oh the, well, the, the the story starts all the way back the story starts with the the germans fighting the romans but but the the situation with napoleon was that before napoleon the germans were all there was no central idea of what what the germans were they were it was just it was kind of like this this idea that this village is full of germans and this village is full of these other germans and this village is full of these other germans and they're really more much more concerned with bickering over the line between their little their little duchies than they are with worrying about anybody outside. You know, Mm -hmm. they were not centrally, there was no central control. There was Prussia, there was Austria, but there were all these little, you know, Hesse castle, uh, principalities and so forth. And Napoleon came through and just absolutely smeared them all the french marched in and they subjugated all of the germans and it was really the first time the germans had been united was under the boot of france and it was so traumatic for them
0: did you did you just invent that that was what? that was first time they'd been united was under the boot of france oh no
1: i i think that I, well yeah
0: that's, maybe sorry, maybe but I, that's I, really good
1: maybe i coined it <laughs> uh, and so that was so traumatic that when, they, when, when Napoleon was finally defeated, it left this lasting impact on the Germans. Like, we need to get our shit together. We need to be the Germans. We need to stop fighting. We need to stop bickering over, you know, the, the, who owns the covered bridge over this, over this river, over the River Saal. And we need to say, we are the Germans. We need a strong central, you know, and for a long time it was, is it going to be Prussia? Is it going to be Austria? But this mentality of, like, we are, we are one people, in my opinion, is a, is a real, like, after a, an aftershock of having Napoleon come through and say, like, yeah, you are one people. You're all my boot blacks, <laughs> you know? Like, mm-hmm. you, 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 are, you are the farmers and the dopes that are going to be supplying the French army as we march into Russia. That's who you are and they were like oh no 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 we are the germans we we are the hunters we are the you know that was the that was the beginning of that like unified consciousness
0: so so versailles was just just merely another compounding giant kick in the balls that that led to the famine and the wheelbarrows full of it, marks and all right. of that so it took it took something that was already stinging uh, something um what I guess what thirty years older than our own civil war, but something that was still very much around there were still <laughs> there were still bullets in somebody's couch up in the attic, yeah, a hundred years
1: later, Versailles was another instance of the French humiliating the Germans for, for and 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 in the case of Versailles, humiliating them for no good reason, just humiliating them, like that war ended World War one ended in a draw and like, it had, had America not come into the, to the war, and even with America in the war, it was a draw. They fought themselves to a standstill. There, w- there was never going to be a winner to World War I. And the idea that America and Britain and France won World War I is pretty ludicrous. They basically, hmm. I mean, Germany just kind of ran out of gas. Nobody ever, there was no big victory there. All three countries, Britain, France, and Germany, they all lost more than a million men. And, and it, was, it was a standstill. And by the end of that war, it should have been like, you know what? Okay, let's just shake hands and, and say the war's done. Let's just stop doing this. That's basically what happened. The Americans came in and they were like, over there, over there. And everybody went, oh, fuck. Here they are um okay uh we surrender i guess i mean when the germans when the germans ended the war they honestly felt like okay you know what let's just let's just
0: stop they had no idea that uh and hadn't you said that wilson in particular there were a lot of people who thought that the terms of Versailles should not be that crazy oh, just wilson because they a... knew how monkey balls this would make them once they got the chance
1: wilson was uh was totally opposed to to uh, like imposing all these massive sanctions on Germany. It was all Clemenceau and and this kind of French mentality that like, now we get ours and and we are going to, and we are going to shame the Germans. We're going to punish them. They're never, ever going to, they're never ever going to do this again. And it was a, it was a, it was a super bad move. And really like, Relative to how that war was fought and what the how it turned out, it was just like, it was just a bitch slap.
0: Do you think it would have made a difference? Do you, do you really think it would have made it less likely that uh, the things would have gotten as bad as they did? Do you think it was it stung that hard oh, that, that, that there was it. some kind of a, I feel like a tipping point, where, where if that had not been as onerous and people could have bounced back faster, it if wouldn't... If there was it, no Versailles, there would have been no Hitler. What if there was just less Versailles? I mean, there had, it was a... There I mean, there were, be... there were reparations. What was? It? Tell me a little bit about Versailles. You've got reparations, like well, really onerous reparations. You've got you can't have a standing army over what was it, a hundred thousand or something? Uh, well, you also lost the. I mean, Germany lost
1: not inconsiderable amounts of their territory to France, but but more than that, it was uh, it was that. I mean, well, the the big effect of Versailles was was. As a result of Trianon, which was a kind of separate s- sub-treaty, where they redrew the borders of all of Eastern Europe. The modern Hungary is a product of, of basically the Treaty of Versailles. Modern Romania, the whole idea of, of Slovakia, really. Poland, modern Poland. I mean, all those countries, their, their borders were all drawn up in that treaty as a way of punishing... Austria, in particular, um, but the—I mean—the the reparations that Germany had to pay to France bankrupted the nation. More more than that, though, it was just this—it was—it was, it was the—it was the institutionalized humiliation of the Germans mm-hmm. that was like completely unnecessary. And you look at the end of World War II, where America instituted the Marshall Plan which was, listen, not only are we not going to shame you,
0: not <laughs> we're, only are we... are going to make it nicer than it was before.
1: Yeah, not only are we not going to tax you, we're going to show you how... Uh, we're going we're to show you with money how we think, how we suggest maybe we can make this a better place.
0: And... We got so much mileage off of that. It's We it's really did. We, we made... We, until until know, about, until just about, let's say, maybe about... <laughs> Nine years ago, eight years ago, we we had so much. We got so much of a pass on stuff, maybe even stuff we didn't deserve, just because people were still like drinking out of those wells or whatever. I mean, just still driving on those roads. It's it's mind blowing. Oh,
1: but we remade the world too. I mean, modern Europe is a is in, in, in so many ways a product of the Marshall Plan and a product of that American what you would call. I think a Wilsonian idealism, the idea that America is able to uh be altruistic. Um, you know, and there are a lot of cynics that would that, that are gonna poo poo that and get get slobber on the front of their bibs, but but that altruism of like, we're, not only are we not going to punish you, we're going to stand in front of anybody who wants to punish you, and we are going to pour money into this country to, develop, to redevelop your industry. The industry that we just bombed into rubble, we're going to build it back up for you and turn it over to you. Mm-hmm and all we ask is that you not start any more wars. Does that sound cool?
0: And you know it's amazing in retrospect especially for somebody and this shows you again the and the the gulf between the classic idea of um of cons- well, like in the old days when Republicans being a Republican or being conservative mostly meant being financially conservative by and mm. large. Right. It, Not it meant, socially let's, conservative. yeah, or, it, but it also meant like we all agree that what's good for business is, is good for America in some ways. And think about the Marshall Plan as something also where you're creating markets. I mean, think about how many of our biggest trading partners over the next 30 years came Absolutely. straight out of countries that, that, that we were trying desperately to destroy and then help rebuild. I mean, Japanese and the the Germans, Japanese and the Germans. I mean, it's two of the
1: strongest economies in the world. Right. Uh, I I just, I, I just Googled this just to, so that I had my facts straight, but the, in 1921, the amount of reparations demanded of Germany was the equivalent of 100,000 tons of pure gold which wow. at the time represented more than 50% of all the gold ever mined in history.
0: <laughs> so there's that the, there's the there's the insult of this impossible thing being put on the table and then there's the 10x insult of you have no fucking choice but to sign it. Right. It's I that mean, kind of kind of like users and let's, let's not we're not here to defend the Germans, <laughs> but like you know, you there's no is- choice
1: but to sign it because and really this is the thing we're all out of food. And that was it wasn't like Germany, you have to sign the Treaty of Versailles because you are out of food and France is sitting here, like, sipping from the milk of human kindness or whatever. <laughs> France
0: was out of food, too. Like, everybody was out of food. Yeah, England didn't come out of that for, like, another, what, like, five or eight years.
1: England is still recovering for World War One. They lost their an entire generation of men
0: in right. World War One. You like, don't want to be in a dumbass. I'm thinking about World War II. Of course, I apologize. That was a stupid thing to say. No, right. England. It, England got back from World War II a little bit faster. Really, it, took, say, it took that long to
1: come out of World War One. Let's say, let's say England was back in 1985. Well, 89. Let's say between 1945 <laughs> and 1989, they were just limping along. I mean, it looked pretty hot in London, but. Right. The, the, I but think no, we I, could, I think we could thank Oasis. An entire Yeah, it was Oasis really. It was it was it was Madchester, you know. <laughs> it, it was the it was the Happy Mondays that really brought England back. But no, I mean I, the, the in 1919 there were no Englishmen left. I mean the, the, an entire generation of of and probably what what you could arguably say was going to be England's most brilliant generation. Those guys the that those what it looked like in 1914, if you could be in 1914 and imagine what they thought the next ten years was going to be, mm-hmm. it was going to be the most fertile time in English history. I swear to you. They, why, why is that? that? There was just it was that there was this feeling in the air in 1914 that anything was possible. Modernism was happening. There was a there was a culture there was a culture of literature. There was people were moving away from like colonialism was kind of on the wane but the but they still had all the power mm-hmm. of uh, of of like their far flung colonies intellectually it wasn't very fashionable anymore but there was still like they still had all the strength they uh, it was a it was this incredibly fertile time it was all across europe you think about the syndical art in germany and austria all of the sort of bauhausy Klimpty kind of like you, you go to those cities, you go to those those little towns in the Czech Republic that were not bombed out by the war, where the architecture is is this incredibly feminine, beautiful uh, architecture and public planning where. The, the The cities feel incredibly solid, but there's a femininity to everything that you don't you don't associate with the germans
0: but or at least a, or at least a fragility when you look at the expressionists there's a certain there's such a fragility uh, I, I, to everything and such a such a questioning of your own perception of of things
1: an, yeah, an, an emotional presence and an emotional awareness that was actually taking shape in the way in the way towns were built and in the way in in, in such Small things as like men's fashion and and I mean it was it was this incredibly sensitive time and everyone was killed the, everyone through the whole continent was just massacred and at the end of it there was nothing left it was just these shards of memory and we're, uh, that we're still trying to recapture uh, it's, uh, the the tragedy of it will will send me into a blue funk it really will. But what was lost? And we think about history being a thing that like, oh, it's inevitable. It happened, right? History. There it is. And you never think about what could have been, what small differences back then could have produced an entirely different world now. Mm-hmm. We can't even imagine. We, they, they felt at the time that they were on the cusp of discovering a new way a new way in music a new way in art a new way in politics they were they believed that it was the dawn of a renaissance and i and i think it was too
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that renaissance was um was just wiped off the off
0: the earth well i mean yes and think about think about where we got all our guys to make the bomb think about like what, a, what, a, so much education that was they were happening. all yids. They were all yids that were chased out. <laughs> yeah. And, but I mean that, that was, this was, it was also, there was, there was so much great stuff happening in education scholarship, you name it. But, but, and you know, I think there's a reason, uh, several reasons. It's something the story of something like Anne Frank resonates with us because, mm. you know, it was a child and an innocent and it was a complicated thing. And like, Oh, and fucking a, if it had been like one more month, she might've lived. It's yeah. such an awful story, but you know, what really gets us is it's one story that that we can understand it's unbearable to think about the number of people who died but you know it's also it's just also unbearable to think about how many of their own people they killed uh certainly people from all over the place and, 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 but but you know uh, for me this is the weird thing again when i get off on these jags these hitler jags on wikipedia and i'll go and i'll look at a section that's i'm pulling this out of my butt but it's like um certainly things like musicians who died mm-hmm. in the holocaust right mm-hmm. or you go you could go and read about writers who died. Yeah. You could certainly read about, uh, gosh, you could read about writers that were just k- killed in the, in, in the field in World War II. It's yeah. astounding how much, uh, I certainly will not say pointless or unnecessary, but how much just like senseless death on both sides happened to level like some of the best minds of the generation, and yeah. you, sometimes you don't see it until you go like fucking trumpet players who died right. in the Holocaust. Right. Trumpet and players who died it, in the Holocaust, but right. you know what I'm saying? Like you, when yeah. you take it down to that level, and then you go and read about that one person, you know, and yeah. that it, that resonates. You know, especially the Anne Frank thing. I mean, like, that's that's such a cliche, but, I mean, it's such a story that's been passed. But the whole fucking idea that she died of a disease, like, seriously, wasn't it like a, a month before they liberated the camp? Yeah. I mean... And this is the kind of tone that you can expect from Hitler and stuff we're going <laughs> 're going to find we 're going to find easy answers this is going to be a fun podcast. it really is this is I think we got something here John. what 's that-
1: astonishing to me though is that you know when you think about like all the writers that died or all the trumpet players that died, you think about that in terms of like, oh well, there might be a couple fewer books or there might be a fewer, few a few more uh, uh, trumpet solos or whatever but but the reality is that we the culture that we 're living in now is a product of the people that survived the war Mm -hmm. and thinking about all the people who didn't survive the war and the culture that they would have produced and where we would be now, our, our understanding of the human condition that would have resulted from those trumpet solos and books that didn't get written is it's an, it's unfathomable how far I think how far behind we are where we, where we would have been. And, uh, it's impossible to measure. It's, impo- it's, a, it's, a, it's numbing to think about. Mm-hmm. But I read an article in the newspaper the other day. It was the 60th anniversary. or No, the, what was it? The 70th anniversary, just a couple of days ago, of the day that all of the Jews in France were marshaled into the trains. And this woman who survived the war was talking about she and her five brothers and sisters were standing in this camp with they were in the camp with their mother and their father was was somewhere else working and the word went out through the camp okay tomorrow all the mothers are going so say good say goodbye and they spent all night huddled together and then in the morning huddled together crying and then in the morning they came and these aren't germans these are french men who were working for the Germans, who came in the morning and took the mothers away and put them on a train and sent them to the gas chambers. Mm. And imagining that now as a father, these kids, you know, uh, uh, know, with their hands through the barbed wire fence, as as their mother is being led away by like a local guy and being put on a train... It was just it's one of those moments where you think about the Holocaust all the time, or we're raised thinking about World War II, but but the unfathomable inhumanity of those small moments where mm-hmm. it's just like that guy who probably lived the rest of his life in France and was never prosecuted for it, he woke up every morning remembering that, what he did. You couldn't help but remember it. You could not help but be haunted by it every day of your life and all through france there are you know a million stories of that and this is the thing we think about oh we walk around germany and oh they've erased all the swastikas but there are a million people in france with a similar story with a similar picture in their attic that they don't bring down because it's a picture of granddad in his like collaborationist cop outfit but what it would take to do that what how your mind would... I, I, I got into this long correspondence with a professor at the University of Washington when I was walking across Europe where I was saying, listen, it is gone from Germany. Whatever that mentality was, I cannot find it anywhere. I talk to Germans every day. What about the war? What about the war? What about the Holocaust? What did your family do? What are your feelings about it? And it is gone. Whatever it was that, that made that happen is no longer here. You could not get the Germans to do it again, right? But the fact that it was only 40 years ago at the time, or 50 years ago, mm-hmm. and the fact that it is completely erased now means that it is, in my opinion, in all of us, all the time. Like, it is never gone. It's always there. Because it, because it happened so simply... You know, there was a series of factors, sure, but the people in Europe were waiting for the opportunity to become monsters. And I, and I believe that we are all human beings waiting for the opportunity to become monsters. It is in us. Because the inhumanity it would require of a person to reach through a fence and take a mother away from her child and put her on a train is it's 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 so unfathomable that it in fact i think is like this this dormant monster that is in all human beings and this professor at the at the U, who I admired very much, kept writing me saying, do you honestly believe that? Do you really believe there could be a holocaust in the United States? <laughs> and I was like, so here's the problem. I don't believe it could have happened in Germany. I'm standing in Germany surrounded by Germans every day, and I don't believe it could have happened here. But it did. And so if you are standing in America and you don't believe it could happen, uh, that's the problem.
0: And, and, and the, that's... We're really well put. But what's also amazing is, in some sense, is you could ask ask people anywhere in the world um, anytime after, say, you know, uh, what happened to, let's say, the Armenians. And you say uh, – could, Oh, could, wait a minute.
1: Now we're losing Turkish listeners.
0: <laughs> but you start and you say, like, will, could there ever be a situation where millions of people uh, were basically exterminated in one of the most civilized countries in the world? And, of course, everybody – in 1920, you'd say No. And in 1930, you'd probably say no. Weirdly enough, a lot of people in 1940 would have said no. A lot of people in 1950 would still be saying no. (laughs) And of course, there are people today who not only say that it didn't happen, but it can happen, and it's it, it, it you're right you're right it is the there's still insanely relative recency of that the fact that we still know family members who would never even drive in a bmw or uh, or a toyota um but but also it's just all along the way it is actually so inconceivable the the the, the scale of it and yet it is is so incredibly present and yet it is it, it's it's that very presence that makes it so hard to accept you know, and I, you know, there's this part of me that wonders how many Holocaust revisionist people are 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 just bananas, and how many people, and how many of them know they're lying, and how many of them just frankly can't grok the staggering nature of it, and think that there's no logical way that it could have happened. Not, not to apologize for that but like it's something that is almost impossible to imagine you, when you watch those film roles when you, when you go see Ca- Cabinet of Dr. Caligari when you, when you take up any of the German culture that was just like happening at the time that, that, that you know what the, the people who would be college age would be dying it's, it's, it's staggering how quickly that happened
1: mm. it really is <sighs> ah, boy Hitler and stuff yeah this is going to be good I really like this podcast. It's going to be so fun. Um, did you know that uh, raccoons are native to North America and were introduced into Germany right before the war by a game warden, hmm. who said, "Why don't we, uh, why don't we turn some of these um, little funny bears?" Loose in Germany, so that the hunters will have something new to shoot.
0: <laughs> what could possibly go wrong?
1: What could go wrong? Oh, and so God. now there are millions of raccoons in Germany. Uh, the Germans call them "waschbären," meaning little bears that wash themselves. That's a so sweet. Uh, it is sweet, except that uh, uh, Germany is divided between half the Germans who think that the little wash bears are cute, <laughs> and the other half of the Germans who feel like the little wash bears are massive pains in the ass because they're like breaking into their homes and stealing their stereo equipment. And it's it's a ma- it's a major <laughs> And Then there's problem. other
0: ones that are really into waschbärenschäsen. Waschbärenschäsen, <laughs> yikes! Ah, do you know about nutrias? I do know about nutrias, but why don't you tell us about nutrias? Have you ever seen a nutria?
1: I have never, in the flesh, seen a nutria. I understand that they are they are
0: big, like they uh, are fucking horrific, like beavers, right? They're big as beavers. Oh, they're yes, they are. But here's the thing: imagine, imagine all of the worst aspects of <laughs> opossum, a possum, <laughs> a rat, a rat that's
1: a, as big po- as a possum,
0: rat, <laughs> beaver. Uh, I'm looking at it's It's like there's part. I don't of think where, there are
1: any bad qualities about a beaver.
0: Um, well, but- if you see it with a rat's tail, you might change your mind. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> Go look at it. Go look at it. And look at the teeth. Uh, look I don't at the want teeth. to look at look them. At they're the so teeth. gross. I've seen and make, them before. Want, they make it sound like this. Oh, you've seen Nutrias in real life. I was in New Orleans a um, long time ago in uh, probably the early 90s. And uh, we were driving around. Our friend was like, oh, Nutrias, they're everywhere. Story goes.
1: You were writing that- in your, your Big Chief tablets. <laughs>
0: I fear that my pyloric valve might seal permanently. (laughs) Uh, And we were driving around and uh, – was it Kristen? Was that her name? Kristen was saying like, uh, well, you know about the Nutrias. And I was like, I don't know anything about the Nutrias. Uh, I'm not going to read this, but just from memory. The story goes that in the midst of the whole like roaring 20s – what was it? Was it um, Bear Code? Yeah, they were trying to make uh,
1: trying to make a beaver coats fur. or whatever. There were yeah. all these
0: like animal skin coats that everybody was buying that were like a, a less costly version of like furs. But you know, because you you you're,
1: you're riding, you're riding in the rumble seat of somebody's yeah. moped, and, you're, and fr- you're in your
0: fraternity. You're, you're you know? wearing a straw
1: boater, and you're <laughs> yeah. stuffing as many guys as you can into a phone booth. And so and you, uh, you want yeah. a nutria coat?
0: You want a new nutria- Well, because the thing was now, th- understandably, this was going to be to this was like the knockoff Rubik's cube. Of of hairy coats because they were gonna they, there's no way they could come up with the man, keep up with the demand so I apologize if I have to go correct this later but the story goes they started uh, raising all of these and seriously I really encourage you to go and look at uh, images of these creatures right. I'm gonna go look at it I, I think you're to gonna see how it is really the worst of almost everything. <laughs>
1: Where did they come from originally, Nutrias?
0: Well, let's go to the Wikipedia. <laughs> let's look it up. Uh, originally. originally I, my
1: understanding is that now they're trying to serve them in restaurants down there. That they're trying to do
0: fucking anything. They'll build houses out of them
1: if they can. Now, wait a minute. It's called a koipu. Yeah. From Mapudungan. Also known as the river rat. Wait, oh, I see. Yeah. Oh, Mapudungan is a, is a language. Mapadungan uh, is the Mapuche originally, language, originally
0: from uh, from South oh, America. Yeah, I yeah. see. But uh, oh. go, go scroll down a little. Now you know beavers got orange teeth, but this one's got super orange teeth. And look at it. Just look at every aspect father, of like that. Red those teeth. Do you see how big they are? And she's oh. talking about this, and she says, "Oh, so here's the story. So the story goes. Then, then the bottom falls out of the market for fucking animal coats. And you right. know what they did? They opened up the cages and let them run. What could possibly go wrong? Oh, look at them. And like so many of these kinds of creatures, they bred prodigiously and yes. now they run around new Orleans. And I thought, Oh, that's very funny. If memory serves, Kirsten, Kristen, no, her yeah. father's not Kristen. Kirsten must be. Kirsten. <laughs> uh, and she said, well, uh, at one point we're driving along. She goes, Oh, look out the window. Like, look at the, um, uh, you know, like the, uh, median strip. Uh, um, mm-hmm. and this thing, it, it, the way that it was ambling, it, it, it's it's horrifying the way this thing moves and it's so much fucking bigger than you think. I mean, it is like, you know, like when you see a raccoon, you think, Oh, ha 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 raccoon. But if you really see a raccoon, like when you saw that mama, she yeah. might've weighed 15, 20 pounds, right?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. She was a big girl.
0: Yeah. So what did one of these weigh?
1: I don't know, but I, I love here that they, they have the uh, conservation status on a, on a sliding scale from extinct. Yes, to green uh,
0: for <laughs>
1: least concern.
0: <laughs> That's on every animal page, and it always makes me laugh. There is it's, no concern about this. It's the status that says, fuck you, animal. <laughs> we are not concerned about about the uh koi peru, so now or, these things run around they run around they're fucking everywhere and really go look at lots of pictures of these because you're not going to sleep uh, well tonight and now they have this whole thing i think for a while they had a bounty thing i think i saw something on cable where they actually got and you go out and you try and shoot these things and yeah. i think there was actually like a uh control efforts
1: yeah oh absolutely i knew about that and that they were trying to trying to convince people that it was good they were good eating and that uh, in new orleans you could go in and get nutria gumbo or whatever guarantee
0: and- but you know, you think a beaver's cute, and a beaver's cute oh, enough. But you know God, what? You-,
1: I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm clicking on some of this stuff, and the number of pop up pop up ads that just came up. I haven't seen a pop up ad since uh-huh. uh, since 1994. I think like, you what, might have a
0: Windows virus on your Mac.
1: How do you get a Windows virus on your Mac? Uh,
0: date rape. I got, got I got date raped, and now I'm looking at it. it's like. That's you think a beaver is cute, and you. a beaver is cute enough. But but a a beaver has fucking orange teeth, and oh, two this? this ain't no beaver. It's got you ever seen a possum and it's got that real weenus looking rat tail on it, like a right. big penis rat tail.
1: I see, I see there are possums all over Seattle.
0: I threw oh bleach. On, I threw bleach on a possum once. This story. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. Did you really? No.
1: Here's a here's a story. Why, Last why, why, Thursday, why would I say oh, something
0: ridiculous yeah. <laughs> like that?
1: Josh Stewart of Springfield, Oregon, crawled under a house on a plumbing job. He was nearly at the back of the house when he heard a noise behind him and turned to see five baby nutrias between him and the way out. (gasps) His first thought was, where's the mother? Then he saw three adults closing in on him. The first one ran at him and he kicked at it. There wasn't much room to maneuver in the 20-inch crawl space, but he managed to get a hold of a rock and smashed it repeatedly in the head. (laughs) This guy... Is a super commando. He's a plumber <laughs> under this house, He's killing nutrias with rocks. The second one came at him, ran up his leg and tore his face, so he grabbed it and killed it. Oh, this guy's drenched in blood at this point. Ugh. One of the babies as well. He is
0: Oh my god. Where are you reading this? Oh this my god.
1: The Mengela of Nutrias.
0: <laughs> 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 and that wraps it up quite neatly. <laughs> oh, no way can we put this out. <laughs>